Oh, thank, thank you, Jesus. Jesus. I'm, I'm excited, excited about this morning as we continue our series on uh, Deeper, where we are taking individual scriptures and just diving into them, understanding them more and more every single week. And it's been a really fun series. I've learned a lot. I hope you all have too. I hope as you continue to hear these verses um, that they bring new life, right? New life to what you thought they were before. Um, new hope, right? Closer to Jesus in everything we do. And this morning is no different. I have to say I am super excited about what we are talking about today. Today, and it's Romans 8:28, and it says this. And we know that God causes everything. Everyone says everything. Everything. He causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes for them. Everything. Everything God uses. Not the good days, right? Not just when everything is hunky dory, but in the hardest, in the most gut wrenching times as well. God uses those things for the good. Of those who love him. And that verse in and of itself is a great verse. We can read that verse and get filled with a lot of hope and a lot of encouragement and say, okay, God, I can apply this to right now. But when we understand the journey that Paul takes us on in Romans 7 and 8 specifically to get to this point of Romans 8 28, it doesn't just give us a little hope, it changes everything. It changes everything, not just about the moment that we're in, about, but about who we are. About who we are. See, it's not just about getting through. It's about us and God shaping who we are. This is what it's about. And there's a journey that Paul takes us on that if you, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is your journey. This is mine. It's everybody's story. And if you haven't, when you make that decision, when... Today, hopefully, you'll say that's my journey too, because it's all of us. And as we read in Romans 8, 28 again, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are calling, called according to his purposes for them, we need to go back to truly understand that. We're going to go back today to Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 18. It says this, And I know that nothing good lives in me, right? I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God! Exclamation point. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. I don't know about you, when I read this, I think, I didn't know that I wrote Romans 7. Wow, Lord, that was like just taken from my memory. I, don't, I didn't think I was even alive then. But clearly I wrote this because this is me. I want to do really good things. I have the best intentions in the world. I set my alarm early. It's a new week, tomorrow's Monday. And God, as I leave church today, I'm going to apply what Pastor James says, and I'm going to have a two-hour quiet time 
right? I'm going to get out the Bible. I'm going to review the sermon notes. I'm going to pour my coffee. And the Holy Spirit is going to rain down in my living room because that's what I want to do. And then Monday morning rolls around and the alarm goes off and oh, snooze 800 times in a row. I'll get to that tomorrow, right? Or the next day. Oh, I want to do good. I really want to. But I don't. And God, I really don't want to do bad things. I don't want to do these bad things. And so as I leave church today, I'm going to be a new person and committed to this new thing. And then what happens is we fall into temptation again. And we do it. And what Paul is saying here is there, there is a desire for us to live up to the law of God. But there is also within us a very sinful nature that is at war with that desire to do good. And more often than not, because we are humans and we are only flesh and blood and we are sinners at the core of everything, we fall to the temptation. And so what we're talking about this morning is the fact, look yourself in the mirror. I hate to burst your bubble, but we can't fix ourselves. None of us. Ain't none of us in here special. All right? On our best day, we cannot fix ourselves. I have this incessant need as you saw earlier with Mr. Wood's shin guards, to tell jokes, right? A lot of times at a very inappropriate time. Not to throw my dad under the bus, but I get it honestly, okay? There's this battle in my mind, and it's, it doesn't stop, y'all. My mind doesn't stop. And whether it's a staff meeting or during a sermon or at home with Jesse, it's like if there's a joke, I'm like, I, I, I got to say it. Because people will laugh, and then they'll like me, and they'll think I'm cool. So I'm going to tell them, and as it's coming out, it's like, it's inappropriate, it's inappropriate, it's inappropriate, I said it anyway. When I, when I took over uh, preaching regularly here a little over two years ago, I had like so many people come up to me with the best intentions. They'd say, now James, I like your sense of humor, but... There are some people who aren't going to get your jokes. So maybe you should dial it back a bit. In which my response was, yeah, okay. <clears throat> I'm hilarious. Everyone gets my jokes. Get behind me, Satan. <clears throat> when I was, in, uh, I was in Youthquake, I don't know if many of y'all are, uh, are familiar with Youthquake. Uh, it's a uh, teenage ministry, outreach-driven. We'd put on shows and all this stuff. And, and I was like 19, you know, you're supposed to go through high school, but when I was in it, none of us wanted to leave. We were still having fun with it. So we, were, we invented interns all of a sudden. So we're like, yeah, we'll be interns. We get to stay on and be the weirdos that have graduated and can't move on in life. And, uh, and so we were having this meeting one day, and um, me and my buddy were just, I don't know if we were in a mood or we were just feeling or whatever. We just didn't want to do what was on the docket that day. And there was a leader there, this woman leader, married to one of the pastors that helped with Youthquake. And she was just kind of getting on our nerves that day. And so we were just like laying into her, sarcastic joke after sarcastic. Finally, she goes, do you know what sarcasm is? I said, no, I don't. Why don't you tell me? But I've always struggled with it. I've always, and it's, it's amazing how um, it, it scares me a lot because God has put me on a stage with a microphone and people, um, how that is also such a temptation for me right? And I fight it all the time. I really do. And I wish, I tell, you know, I, I wish that I, people would give me credit for the things I don't say. You know, like, I, you were going to say something there. Good job, buddy. Because that happens a lot, and no one knows. 
In my head, I'm going, I didn't sin right there, and someone needs to pat me on the back for that. <laughs> but we, we all have our things. We all have these things that we really want to do that we're fighting, right? We're fighting, and, and that's a small-scale thing, right? Sometimes, sometimes it's not. Sometimes I really hurt people. But there are things in our life that we just battle with, that, that sinful nature in our life, where we're saying, I want to be better. I want to do this. And then we fall. And here's the thing. The world wants to tell us that we are our own savior. That if you work hard enough, if you try hard enough, if you just, if you just coach yourself up, then you will overcome the things in your own life. And I'm telling y'all right now, that is a bold-faced lie. We can't do it. And you know what? The sooner that we accept that and realize that, then we are set free. Because what happens is when we start to buy into that logic of we are our own savior, we try and we try and we try really hard. And then we fail. And so not only do we fall into that temptation, but now we beat ourselves up for not being able to overcome that thing in our life, and it starts to snowball. And we go down this dark road to where we end up suicidal, depression. We self-medicate in all sorts of different ways, whether it's pornography, alcohol, drugs, adultery, whatever it is, because we, it all started with us thinking that we could save ourselves. But we can't. We can't. And that is what Paul is saying. But then he asks this question, who will save me? Who will save me from this sin? And he gives the answer that we're talking about today, why we gather every single Sunday, why church exists, why we sing these songs. It's because, praise God, Jesus Christ can save me. And so then he transitions to chapter 8 by saying this, Therefore, so now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. The condemnation comes, this is the irony of it all. When we try to save ourselves, we condemn ourselves. But when we turn our lives over to Jesus and say, God, I can't do it. I'm giving it all to you. There is no condemnation in that. But what we think is it's the opposite. The reason that we try to save ourselves is because we're trying to escape condemnation. Thinking that if we turn our lives over to Jesus, we're going to receive condemnation and guilt and this gavel onto the desk and you're sentenced to this and that. And it's the total opposite. It's the complete opposite. When we try to save ourselves, we condemn ourselves. When we allow Jesus to save us, there is no condemnation. And when he says no condemnation, Paul is talking in absolutes, okay? In other words, it's not there's some condemnation or there's a little bit of condemnation. On, on better days, less. On bad days, more. No, he's saying absolutely, without a doubt, zero zilch, nada, no condemnation in Jesus. So, if you are walking in shame and guilt this morning, maybe even had a hard time coming here, you need to know that that is not of Jesus. And you need to let that go. Because it says very clearly and very plainly right here in Romans 8 verse 1 that what you are feeling is not of God. It is not of God. There is no condemnation. Verse 2, And because you belong to Him, the power of the, living, of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of the sin that leads to death. The life-giving Spirit has freed you, y'all. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. 
He sent His own Son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. This is, this is it right here, y'all. I, we, we had a memorial service here yesterday, and one of the speakers said this. It was, I thought it was so cool. He said, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And so if you're in a relationship and you love this person, right, or if you have children and you love them, our, our inclination, our natural desire is to give to them. Whether it's, some, whether it's a good, you know, an item or if it's just serving them on that day. But the product of love is to give. And so what we read here is God saw that we needed him. And because he loved us, his inclination, the nature of who he was, was to give, not to take, not to condemn, not to rule over us, but to send his son to give his son as a sacrifice for us so that this law that we, we try and measure ourselves up to, we're free from that. We're free from the slavery of sin. Do you all realize that? Do you realize that? God sent Jesus because he loves us. And out of his love, he wanted to give. Because love produces giving. And every single one of you in here, every single one of you watching online, God saw you and he said, I want to give to that person. I want to give Jesus for her. I want to give Jesus for him. Because I see the struggle and they're never going to be able to measure up. And so I'm going to free them from that. I'm going to free them from that slavery of sin. And I'm going to give life-giving spirit, which has freed all of us. Alistair Bragg is a well-known preacher. And he said this, which I thought was so profound and awesome, talking about salvation. He said, when we get to heaven, or let's say you picture yourself going to heaven, you're, you're there, and they ask, why should I let you in? If we answer that question in any form of the first person, we've got it wrong. In other words, why should I let you in, James? Because I, that's it, we're done. That's not the answer that they're looking for. But instead, if we answered in the third person, then we're on to something. Because he, because Jesus made a way for me. Because Jesus said I could come. Think about the criminal on the cross with those last words. Remember me today. Jesus says, surely you'll be with, par- with me in paradise. There was no poetic prayer. There was no discussion of theology. And so when that criminal got to heaven, well, who's your pastor? What church do you go to? How many times have you tithed? Tell me your favorite Bible verse. Right? No, none of that. When they asked that criminal, why should I let you in? He said, because Jesus said I could come. And that is the truth for every single one of us. We cannot save ourselves. And the second that we say that I did this or I, no, Jesus did it all for us. Hallelujah. Going down to verse 15. It says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. 
Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his sufferings. Check this out, verse 18, y'all. This is important, especially for what we're living in today. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. What we will suffer now is nothing, nothing compared to what God is going to show us later on. The glory of God. And you know what? We get to take part in that because our spirits are united and we are co-heirs with Christ. Comparing what we're going through now with the glory that's going to be revealed to us later is not comparing apples to oranges, y'all. Because those two things are at least similar. They're both fruit, right? Comparing our suffering now, which is really hard, which is really difficult, I get that, is like comparing the rotten food garbage trash that raccoons get out of our trash cans to a Ruth's Chris, medium rare, gorgonzola butter dripping over the side, ribeye steak, right? You can't compare the two. You can't compare the two. And that is what God is saying to us. Yes, I know it is hard. I know that you're suffering, but just wait until you see what is on the other side. You can't even compare it. It's going to be so great. Y'all, I believe this with all my heart, that when we see God's glory revealed, we're not even going to remember the sufferings that we had. Like, what are you suffering? What are you talking about? I don't even remember that. That's gone. Because we're co-heirs with Christ. That is who we are. And here we are, now to Romans 8, 28, where we started this morning. As I read this, the band can come on up. It says this, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So what we see here is Paul is talking about our testimony. He's talking about us. Because he's taken us on this journey where it begins with him saying that we can't do it. I'm a sinner. And as much as I try, I keep sinning. And though I see the law of Moses, I can't live up to it. And so we live this life of things that are all messed up, of failures, and us condemning ourselves, and walking in shame, and walking in guilt. But then he gives the answer to all that in Jesus And as we begin, as people who cannot do it, he says, no, no, no. Actually, what happens is you're free. You're no longer slaves to sin. You are God's children. And you are co-heirs with Christ. But then, y'all, it doesn't even end there. Because we're going to keep going. Because I can't read Romans 8 and not get to this part. In verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one, y'all. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Y'all, please listen to these words. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37, no. 
No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In other words, we're not failures. You are not a failure. You are more than a conqueror. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are not a failure. You are not a failure. You are not condemned by God. Far from it. You are a child of God. You are a co-heir with Christ. And you are more than a conqueror. Some of y'all need to hear that this morning. Rob, you're more than a conqueror. Rick, you're more than a conqueror, brother. Natalie, you are more than a conqueror. Carol Mabry, you are more than a conqueror. Mike Hawkins, more than a conqueror, brother. Nikki, you too. You too. I don't know where Cole went, but he's more than a conqueror as well. Valerie, you are more than a conqueror. So is your husband. Who else? Matt, you're more than a conqueror. You're going to get through it. You're going to get through it. We love you. Jacob, Debbie. Miss Ileana, Beaches Chapel, this is our identity. This is our identity. It's all of us. It's all of us. Whether I called your name or not. It's time that we start walking. This is the gift. This is the gift that God has given us, y'all to be set free of us having to do it ourselves, of us having to be our own savior. The words that he spoke over us is that we are his children, and we are co-heirs with Christ, and we are more than conquerors. So when we ask that question, does God work for the good of those who love him? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. So in those moments, those circumstances that seem really hard and we just speak that, we speak that verse over those moments, God, you work, the, you work for the good of those who love you. In this moment, we can say, no, God, you have been working for the good of those who love you and you will work for the good of those who love you because I am a child of God and you're not gonna leave me hanging out to dry. So no longer do you need to walk in fear because you've been set free. But it, it takes us receiving that. It takes us receiving that gift that he's given us. So what I wanna do now, we don't need to say a super poetic prayer. I'm gonna kinda of follow the model of the criminal on the cross, kind of appropriate for us. I just wanna take a moment here where in your own words, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, all you have to do is say, Lord, and then also say, just forgive me. And that's not to air your dirty laundry so that he can take those things that you've been condemning yourselves about 
things that you've been walking in shame and guilt and hiding in the shadows over, say, God, here they are. Here they are. I'm not going to walk in condemnation anymore. Just say, Lord, 